Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Glenn Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm. Also with us, Jed Brewer. Uh-huh. Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, Lee Younger. I love that everybody was singing. And, you know, it's kind of like a Marshall Erickson style. Like, everything we do in this whole episode should be sung. Like, welcome yeah. back. <laughs> the world's first sung-through podcast, which, as I say that out loud... I'm sure that isn't true, and that's a horrifying thought. <laughs> Some collection of theater kids definitely made a podcast where they sang every single note, but I don't think we really have it in us. We're going to do the normal thing. We've got some of your great questions. We're going to have a lot of fun. But first, I must declare a user-generated cinematic emergency. Whoa. 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 User-generated. We're hitting all the tech buzzwords on this one. That's right. So a couple of episodes ago, we talked about the latest in the God's Not Dead series of movie franchises, uh, God's Not Dead, colon, We the People. Whoa. The fourth mm. in that particular installment, which came as a shock to us because none of us were aware of the fourth one, much less the third one. <laughs> Feels right. like quite a lot of sequels. Uh, but so we had a comment come in from uh, superfan James who posited that with that many sequels, are we reaching a world where the God's Not Dead franchise is the Fast and the Furious of Christian movies? <laughs> oh, oh, fascinating. Yeah. Wow. And I feel like this opens up a huge number of possibilities when you see things through that lens. No question. I mean, they are exercising their religious freedoms a quarter mile at a time. <laughs> Well, and in many ways, the government is trying to shut them down from doing the thing they love the most. <laughs> yeah, no, there, there's a lot of overlap there. Let me just start with a word of confession. I believe at this point I have seen, uh, apart from the latest one that has just come out, I believe I've seen every last one of these movies. This is a safe place, Glenn. This is a safe place to, to confess your love for Vin Diesel movies. I said, watch this and say, I can feel myself getting dumber just watching it. You know, can, quick, remember who the first five presidents of the United States were. I can't. I'm The di- Rock, I, Vin Diesel, <laughs> Jason <right>. Statham. <laughs> a Dodge Charger. That was a, that was a controversial one. <laughs> I'm just saying... Just as as a brief aside, I want to be clear. If we could get a prestige biopic of um, of George Washington, but played by Vin Diesel, wow. I would so watch that movie. Like I'm yeah. envisioning it right now, and I am excited. Let me counterpitch something here because okay. Lee at the very beginning mentioned the musical thing. We go back and do another version of the stage show of Hamilton, but Vin Diesel in the George Washington part. And they only gave him the script an hour ago. (laughs) Or he can only say, I am Groot, for which he made a lot of money in the Guardians movie. (laughs) Or he's, he's, we gave him the script an hour before and the wig and a tank top. (laughs) And some form of muscle car. And he has to act it while driving around and yeah. running into things. Well, so that was my whole thing was just like a full out, like anachronistic retelling of yeah. the American story with the with the uh, muscle cars. Yeah. yeah. The other thing is uh, Matt and I have a, a a good buddy. I think he's a buddy of Matt's. I, I, he's he's a good pal of mine. Everyone's a Rob. friend of Matt. Yes. Uh, who recently had a great Twitter thread where. He compared the uh, Fast and Furious movie series to uh, Michael Jordan's different championship teams with the Bulls. Ah. Mm. And, or just Michael Jordan's career in general. And when he got to, uh, he got to, I guess it was like Hobbs and Shaw was like when Jordan played baseball. Okay. Okay. And, uh, and then he said, you know, by the time we got to, to Fast 9, this was Jordan with the Wizards. It's, we didn't need this. But we'll watch it kind of deal. And it was, you know, and it was a it was a great little kind of sequence and stuff. And I think it would be really interesting for somebody to find some kind of parallel with these really lame Christian movies 
uh, you know, some other kind of parallel in, in pop culture where we can, you have an immediacy of understanding of yeah. just kind of the devolution of impact, of, of theology, of, of importance, of anything that matters at all. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think there is an interesting parallel to be drawn if we casting forward into the future, because the fourth Fast and Furious movie was just called Fast and Furious, and I believe it is widely considered the uh, the low point of the franchise. Okay, it currently has a twenty eight percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. That's rough. It made you know seventy million dollars worldwide the box office, but was not you know the smash hit these things would come to be. And maybe, just maybe, that's around the time they realized we got to start getting weird with it. Yeah. We need submarines. <laughs> yeah. We need people coming back, even though we saw them die on screen. We need spaceships. Right. And my question is, where could, the, where could the God's Not Dead franchise go if they were going? What's their equivalent of bringing in Jason Statham and The Rock and having Ludacris ride a submarine or whatever happens in these movies? Well, first of all, the next one. So they're currently on um, uh, uh, Not Dead 4, right? Yep. Okay. Not Dead 5 takes place Antarctica. Okay. And so there, wow. it's <laughs> it's a fight for religious liberty on a research base in Antarctica. Oh, yeah. All right. Then Not Dead 6 is on the moon. Dang right on Fighting the moon. Fighting for faith in outer space. But can, That's can right. we can we back up and and I think Not Dead Five is I think it's a great idea. And can they be fighting against the idea of global warming, Jed? Oh, dude, yes, that's so brilliant. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so let's 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 workshop this together. Let's get this going because I, I feel like we may have a go picture here, fellas. Okay, so <laughs> the the first thing that we need is we need the scientist who's evil, of course, because he's in science, which is bad. Who is the the pro global warming guy? Right. And so he's he's the villain in all of this. So let's pause for a second. Who could we cast in the evil? a science role who says there's global warming and there isn't. And he's on the, you know, the payroll of Satan or a big corporation or both. Well, is Satan incorporated? It is Satan incorporated. Absolutely. Well, Bill Nye feels a little on the nose and I'm not sure we could get him to do it, but someone in that (laughs) vein, certainly. Right. Right. I like that. I like that. No, I I think, I think uh, that, that feels pretty good. Okay. And then it feels like maybe we've got to have, so like the same dude who's the pastor in all of these, right? I mean, clearly he's like the chaplain to this, uh, 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 science outreach, you know, uh, outpost. Uh, but it feels like we need to have like a plucky guy who like, he's, he's real gruff and mm. you know, he, d- he doesn't take no nonsense from nobody. Right. But inside. He's got a heart of gold. <laughs> Whoa. That's one of the twists you don't see coming. Can the, can, can the gruff guy, like, he goes into, at a certain point in the movie, he has a breakdown where he goes into his past and, and admits that he, uh, that he was in a rock band or something oh, like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's very like good. Like, it's a very emotional turning point type moment where he renounces rock and roll and things like that. He played a metal, <laughs> noted metal band in Darkenment. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes that's how you build a cinematic universe people oh gosh well let me read you guys the the wikipedia very very thumbnail plot summary of fast five because i think this is going to build on us as getting where we're going because yeah. this would be the the fifth the fifth film in that franchise we're looking for the fifth film in this one dominic toretto brian o'connor and mia toretto jordana brewster plan a heist to steal 100 million dollars from corrupt businessman herman reyes while being pursued by U.S. Diplomatic Security Service agent Luke Hobbs, Dwayne Johnson. So I think, yeah, I, I like the heist idea. So is there something, can Satan Corp be hiding the, uh, the super secret documents that actually prove that global warming isn't real at the South Pole? Yeah. And Pastor yeah. has to go steal them? Yeah, that's good. That's good. But he's I being like pursued by an agent played by a much less successful wrestler. <laughs> let's go with like triple h who's never been in good movies unknown to a lot of people outside of me and matt the county mayor of knox of knox county 
which is very near where I live, is an ex wrestler for real? Who, who went by the name Kane. He is no way an ex wrestler, yes. but also a current wrestler. He's been wrestling matches in WWE as recently oh, as gosh. in the last couple months. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Since he has been mayor of Knox County, he has been choke slamming people on television. <laughs> well, wow. I, I think that at some point in the movie, one of our one of our Jeds needs to make an appearance, whether that's whether that's legalistic Jed or like I don't believe oh. in climate. You know, uh, climate change, Jed, or like, right? You know, right. or like uh, the conspiracy theory, Jed. I think what they're hiding at the South Pole, the whole movie, we think it's going to be, you know, documents that prove that all those documents were Exxon saying, "Oh yeah, we knew about global warming in 1974. We just didn't tell anyone." Are fake, but what they're actually hiding is Bible numerology, Jed. <laughs> what they don't want you to know. <laughs> Who uses his Bible numerology powers? To outwit one Glenn Jacobs, a.k.a. Kane, who's been pursuing our God's Not Dead team, and uses that Bible numerology to prove that the earth is not getting warmer. I'll tell you this right now. I have a 12-year-old son, and whenever he has a friend over after school, the conversations that they have are exactly what I imagine the conference room is like when somebody is pitching one of these movies. It's just all the sentences start with "dude, no, check this out," and then all and then all the sentences flow after that that become these movies. Yeah. Yes, except uh, your your the conversation in your house is probably fueled by some kind of soda and maybe candy, and not what is probably fueling the pitch meeting at Fast and Furious <laughs> headquarters. Um, so we've I think we've got a go picture here. I think we've got um. You know exactly what we need plot-wise, uh, star power-wise. Um, I'm going to pitch as a title, Faith and Furious. Wow. Oh, that's good. We feel, that's, we feel good. That? Mm, that's good. Nice. So uh, on that, I think we've got a go picture, and I think we're ready to declare emergency off, cinema on. Jed, one more oh, thing. Oh, yeah. Well, look, here's what we know is if you really want to create a cinematic universe, I, you know, you got to have you know, the three line and whatnot, but you've also got to have the fun stuff that happens after the credits to tease future projects. Ooh. Oh, absolutely. Now, if there's one thing, and I say this as a former homeschool student, so I speak the truth, y'all. If there's one <laughs> thing that I know that the Christians love, it's weirdly deifying the founding fathers in a way that is Ooh. completely ahistorical. So I think that the whole thing with a Vin Diesel-helmed biopic about um, George Washington, I think this has to be a part of it. And here's what I'm saying is he's gearing up to cross the Delaware in his Hellcat Dodge Charger. Yeah. Wow. Yep. And that is where, like, the little four-minute segment at the end of Faith and the Furious 5 cuts off. He's just about to gun the engine. Boom. Cliffhanger. Yeah. <laughs> if he goes fast enough, he can just go right across the water. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And we know he can do that, and it won't matter, because Bible numerology goes on to prove the global warming is not, re- not real. So a 300-year head start on uh, CO2 emissions, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> and that, eventually, when Disney buys everything that makes a moving image, all these things will be under, all these uh, properties will be under one umbrella, and we can make the Faith in the Furious. But for now, we, uh, we make uh, what I would call, maybe at least in scope, if not in ambition, some uh, more humble projects. We've got Bridgebox comes out the first of every month. That's uh, some sermons, songs, Bible studies, blog posts, some, some encouraging stuff that comes into your inbox. You can check that out at missionusa.com slash bridgebox. And we have The Bridge Live, which has not featured any flying cars yet, but we are parked by a major road in Chicago. We are set by a major road in Chicago, and you never quite know what's going to happen. So uh, be on the lookout for that. But for now, it's, uh, it's songs, sermons, recorded live at our bridge service. You can check that out every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time, facebook.com slash Bridge Chicago. If you can't join us live, you can check that out on our Facebook page where they're all archived. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. If you hang out with us all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways to get in touch with this. Or you can scroll down into your episode description and click the links you find there. Our first question comes in and says, I'm in a relationship with someone who has helped me a lot in my life. I love this person and want to spend my life with them. Recently, I've started taking some positive steps for myself, meeting with new people and connecting with a new community. This person that I'm in a relationship with is starting to say I spend all my time with, quote, my friends. 
It is frustrating, and I feel like I am being manipulated. How can God help me out in this situation? A, another great question. We are super glad you wrote in. And Glenn, where would we start off? Well, yeah, I think, uh, you know, uh, this has sort of the size and shape of a jealous reaction. And, you know, I I think when I'm looking at situations like this, I, I don't want to um, sort of take that uh, easy sort of obvious thing off the bat and run with it. I really want to dig a lot deeper and try and get a, a deeper sense of what's going on here. You know, what's the, let's not just go for the easy explanation. I think in this case, uh, it's about looking at the, okay, if there's a certain amount of jealousy there, where does that really come from then? You know, just looking at that begins to change the nature of what, what we're seeing here. So if, if I say, okay, there's a jealousy here, and that's that maybe comes from an insecurity, then we need to know, okay, what is what is this person insecure about? Uh, I think when we get down to that level of detail, this becomes a much different looking problem. Uh, that it's not so much about um, where do you spend your time with, and how do you manage that, and who has priority, and all those kinds of things. It's more about looking at uh, is there an, an insecurity reaction that's that's happening there, and are we sort of exacerbating that without realizing it? Are we needing to address that in a certain way? Uh, obviously, this other person will need to deal with their own insecurities, uh, but I think we we this is a time for getting some depth of understanding as opposed to dealing with it just on the surface of like. Again, who are you spending time with, etc. The second thing here is, uh, and this is a tough word here, but I think there are people who are comfortable with us when we're in a bad place. And some of those people may become uncomfortable with us when we're in a good place. Yep. Uh, sometimes people get used to feeling sorry for us. They kind of like the fact that, Someone's more screwed up than them, huh. and um, they. It, some people like having a project or whatever, but it's sort of the basis of the relationship in some cases. Of you know, I'm I'm feeling sorry for you, and I'm helping you out on that basis. And then when suddenly this person that you're helping out, and they're kind of a project, and you look up, and they're doing maybe a little better than you are, and they have more friends and healthier stuff and more fun stuff to do, it kind of feels like uh, a betrayal, in a sense, uh, for those kinds of people. Uh, that's very different from someone who sees you in a bad place and sees better things in you mm. and believes in you so that as you take hold of those better things, they they are more and more impressed with where you're going and, and more and more excited for you and cheering you on. So, uh, you know, I think part of this is, uh, again, I don't want to read something, you know, uh, nefarious into that, uh, but I think it's looking at the fact that if the relationship sort of started on a certain type of footing and that thing has changed, then, you know, the, a person may be feeling like, well, you know, I thought, I thought you were going to be a project and I was going to fix you, but now you don't need to be fixed. And these other people are fixing you. Where does that leave me? And so forth. I think the third thing to look at is that regardless of the speculations we're making here, uh, here is the solution to all of this. And it's to have an attitude on your part that I'm working on my stuff and you, my partner, my boyfriend, girlfriend, what have you, you are working on your stuff, mm. and we encourage each other as both of us work on our stuff. You have imperfections. I have imperfections. You're supposed to be working on yours. I'm supposed to be working on mine, and we're supposed to give each other feedback and talk about how that's going and give each other encouragement. Maybe you learned something from your growth that would apply to me and mine, and, and that's the kind of thing, but it's not this sort of enabling thing. It's not sort of I'm the, the screwed up one and this other one's the lined out one. It really needs to be more of a case of everybody work on whatever needs working on. That way we're finding a humility here uh, where we're on the same page sort of spiritually off of that. 
in that way, we're also uh, uh, an encouragement to each other in sort of a godly fellowship rather than uh, all these jealousy-type reactions. I think that's a really good place to start. And Lee, where do we take things from there? Yeah, I I think that when you find yourself in a situation where you're wondering, am I being manipulated? I, I think one of the things that we need to do is get into a mindset of, I'm going to create a circumstance where I'm going to grasp control over something I have control of. And then see how that person responds. Um, a, a real quick example of that would be like, okay, uh, we're going to do this thing and you're going to turn that, that date down for whatever reason. Uh, no, I'm not going to go do that. I'm going to go do this other thing. Maybe it is a deal with your friends or, or something with school or something with work or whatever. One of the things that happens in to, to people who do sometimes find themselves in a situation of manipulation is that they'll feel like if I turn somebody down, I have to give a good enough reason to turn them down. And good enough reason means I have to over-explain every possible thing so that they will be convinced that, that no, I don't have to go do this thing with them or whatever. The truth is you don't have to explain yourself at all. You can just say, I am not going to that or I can't go to that. Uh, and you don't owe anybody else any other kind of uh, addition to that explanation or anything like that. Um, in, in a situation where you may be feeling manipulated, you take control of that situation and see how they respond. If they push back on that boundary, then you're starting to see the picture of where you are, um, that this person feels like they have the they have the right to know everything that you're doing, every reason why you're doing it, and they have the right to kind of control your social calendar or whatever it is. You may have to have a hard conversation and set up some more firm boundaries. Um, if they respond well to those, then, you know, then maybe you guys can work towards a healthy relationship and maybe you're misreading some of this and 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 you're not in a situation of manipulation but the key here is is to take control of a situation where you have the right of control and um and you see how they respond to a healthy boundary every single adult relationship has healthy boundaries in it um whatever relationship you're in you're going to have some boundaries and so it's it's right and it's good for you to, to, to set those, to manage those, to express those. And in a situation like you're talking about, you don't have to always over-explain yourself in every kind of thing. Let's see how they respond. Let's see if you can get a good read on where you're at. Maybe your instincts are right on the money, and this person wants to be in a situation of control. They want to be in a situation of, like Glenn's talking about, with jealousy and insecurity and all that kind of stuff. Let's set up a, a, a situation where you can kind of figure out how they're going to respond to a boundary, and then you're going to gain some more understanding. If you want to hit us back and do some follow-up with that, we are always, always, always open to follow-up. We're always open to more specific, um, you know, just kind of more specific feedback. Um, but in general, and, th and this is not just you, question asker, this is kind of with everybody. Um, you don't have to over-explain yourself when you don't want to go to something. You don't have to over-explain yourself when you have friends that you want to hang out with. Um, it's, it is right and good for you to have control over these situations and for you to make sure that you understand, am I being kind of steered? Am I being manipulated? It's right to have healthy boundaries. It's right to manage and, and maintain those boundaries. And um, like we've always said on the show, we've said it a million times, we'll say it a million times more, a boundary is not a thing where you're trying to control somebody else. It's where you're describing what you will and won't do. And you have the right to set those up, to maintain those. And, um, and, and when somebody respects those, then you, congratulations, you're in a healthy relationship. I think that's another excellent layer to add on to this. And Jed, where do we close this out? You've already heard a bunch of great stuff on this. So I'm just going to add a couple thoughts to build on the great stuff that you've heard. Uh, let me start with, I think, the most important point, which is you need to be talking with your partner. Like, you guys need to be actually communicating openly and, and talking things through. And if you say that we're not sure how to talk about these things, that's fine. Now's a really good time to learn. Um, and it's, it's okay to have conversations that feel a little awkward as long as you're having them. If if you're saying, I don't feel safe having open conversations with my partner, that's a different situation. 
Um, and that would be um, a real moment to take stock of whether you want to be in this relationship moving forward or not. Um, it, certainly, if that's where you're at, shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, talk with a, a, a counselor or or an appropriate person there where you are. So again, in terms of left and right limits, if you don't feel safe having a conversation that is open and, and clear with your partner, that is a, a very, very strong caution point. But if you're not sure how to have a conversation, well, you're going to learn how ultimately by doing it. Um, but if, if we, to the extent that it's possible for all of this to land in a healthy place with this person, that's going to come down to learning how to talk about things. Uh, there's just not going to be a way around that. And if you can talk about things, here's what's going to happen is it's going to give you the ability to have way more nuance and shading and subtlety in understanding what this is and what this isn't. Uh, so to give you a couple examples of what I mean, your partner could be possessive and controlling. They could also be afraid of change. Um, you know, it, sometimes in life, I, I mean, I, I've had... It's weird. I've played in bands, right? And so you'll have periods where you spend every waking minute for weeks with this very, very, very small group of people, um, and then you don't. And uh, it's just – it's weird. It's it's a sudden big change in your life, and, and, and it feels weird. So is there a fear of change element here? Uh, similarly, depending on their background, you know, plenty of people who have grown up around addiction – engage in hiding behavior and and secret keeping behavior uh it's it's a thing where you kind of learn in in again in households where addiction is present you, you kind of learn to um keep things much closer to the vest than than actually you need to uh and so um you can be you can feel threatened when um, kind of just you're around new people on that basis. Is, is that an element here? Do they just have no other friends? Is this a person where kind of you are basically their only social circle? There's plenty of other things that it could be too. I'm really mentioning those just as uh, possibilities and, as, and really as illustration of the idea of this could be a bunch of different things. And the way to find out is to talk it out. Yeah. Um, if you, if you get into a situation where basically your partner is saying, well, I don't know, it feels like you spend all your time with your friends. Okay. Well, let's talk about it. No. Well that, you know, there's not a lot we can do there, but one of the things that I have found just from my own relationships in life is that there are all kinds of problems that can look, look like something, maybe almost a little hinky until we start talking about it. And we can realize there's there's more to it and there's other ways to look at it and think about it and, and feel about it. I don't know what the situation is here, but I do know that to the extent that we can find a good solution, to the extent that that this isn't a worst case scenario, we will find that solution by learning how to talk together with you and your partner about this. And and this is the really good news is if you guys do that, and again, it's it's not you know, it turns out to not be a dire thing. That ability to talk about vulnerable, difficult things and find a solution that works for both of you will actually hold you in really good stead for the future of this relationship, too. That is all excellent stuff from all these guys. We're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, in John chapter five, when Jesus heals a man at a pool, he later sees the man at the temple and says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. What does that mean? That sounds really scary. And another great question. We love these things where you find something in your reading of the Bible and uh, just doesn't hit your ear right, and you give us the chance to uh, help you out with that. So, Lee, where do we start it off? It's a really, really great question. As Matt said, glad that you wrote it in. And um, one of the things that we always want to do is we want to make sure that we kind of... uh, you know, defang some of the apparent scariness with some things that we know. We know that, that uh, you know, one part of Scripture is not going to undo another part of Scripture. So let's, let's look at some other Scriptures real quick and try to understand some things. One is, there's a, uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's a place in John chapter 4 where Jesus says, Truly I say to you, anyone who hears my words and believes him who sent me 
will not come into judgment, has already crossed over from death to life, has already inherited eternal life. You will not be judged. You will not be condemned if you've called on the name of Jesus. There's a place in John chapter 9 where there's a guy who's born blind, right? And the disciples are saying to Jesus, okay, so this guy was born blind. So whose fault was it? Like, we assume that everything that bad that happens to a person happens to them because of some sin by somebody. So this guy was born blind. So was it his sin? I mean, if he was born this way, or was it his parents? So is is God visiting the sin of his parents onto this child? And Jesus very clearly says, it is not because of the sin of him or his parents. That's not what this is about. Um, and so what we want to do in 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 talking about those things just three specific scriptures is to say that one, a person that's called on the name of Jesus, you are not being punished. The, the, the difficult things that happen to your life, to you in your life, are not a, a direct punishment of your sin by God to you. Uh, Jesus has paid for all of sin, all of your sin and all that kind of stuff. So we're not being condemned or judged or punished. Two, uh, not everything bad that happens to people is happens to them because of their sin. That's what Je- Jesus clearly says that about the man who's born blind in John chapter nine. But Jesus does go to this guy and say, "You should you should stop sinning, or something else, something worse might happen to you." So how do we deal with that? Well, one thing that we can all say is that we have all experienced the fact that <clears throat> that one thing that choosing um, we can look at sin as kind of like choosing a way for my life that's not the thing that God wants for it. One thing we can all say about that in our own personal experience, in the experience of knowing people, knowing other people in our life, is that whenever we choose a thing that is not the thing that God wants for us, we're always choosing less life. We're always choosing less life. I'm going to quote uh, Jed here and and and. Uh, say that whenever God says don't, he's saying don't hurt yourself. When when we talk about sin, we're talking about something that is going to lead us to less abundance. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest. So one thing that we know about sin is that sin, it always leads us to less fullness, less life, less abundance. Um, when Jesus says to the woman at the well, go forth and sin or uh, excuse me, to the to the woman who was caught in adultery in John chapter 8, go forth and sin no more. He had already told her, I don't condemn you. He said, who, so who here condemns you? And she said, no one, sir. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go forth and sin no more. And that's because he's saying to her, I don't condemn you, but I do want more for you. I want you to have a more full life. I want you to have a richer life. I want you to have more fullness, more fun, more satisfaction, more awesomeness, more joy in your life. So I want you to go forth and go go do something else. I've got something more for you. So we can look at all, we can kind of draw a, you know, a picture of all of these things together and look at the fact that anybody that calls in the name of Jesus, we're not being condemned, we're not being punished, we're not being judged for our wrong. But sin always leads us to less life. It always leads us to a more constricted life. And Jesus wants abundance and fullness. He always wants more for us. I think that is a wonderful, wonderful place to start this off. And Jed, what can we add to that? It's a great question. I'm really glad that you wrote it in. I'll tell you that um, there are some things Jesus said where I think I have a pretty, you know, straight understanding of, of what he probably meant. There's some things where I'm not sure that I get all of it. Uh, for me, this story is uh, probably a little bit more in the, I'm not sure I get all of it, but I, I do know a few things um, that are definitely worth looking at. And this goes right along with the great stuff Lee was just saying. I can tell you for sure that a life of self-pity and blame shifting and ingratitude mm. uh, does not go anywhere good. And I mentioned those three things because those are definitely present for the dude in this story. Um, it's it's worth going and reading John chapter 5, but it's a dude who's been having a lot of trouble for a long time and is pretty clearly stuck on kind of a weird self-pity thing. Um, and uh, Jesus heals him anyway. And then it's interesting. Um, 
it has to do with kind of some some religious laws at the time, but but some of the religious leaders are not too pleased with the situation. And dude, who's just been miraculously healed, immediately blames Jesus to get out of trouble. Um, and then when they say, "Well, who is this guy?" Uh, he actually doesn't even know his name. Um, he he's been so lacking in response. He didn't even bother to learn the name of the person who miraculously healed him. And so again, um, one takeaway for sure that again goes right along with what Lee was telling you is that um, self pity and blame shifting and ingratitude do not lead to a full life. They do not lead to an abundant life. They do not lead to a good life. Even if our circumstances momentarily improve. And I actually think this is something really worth, you know, especially for Americans, really um, looking at and meditating on and, and considering deeply is we've all been led to believe that the best things in life are a sudden momentous improvement in your circumstances. Mm, yeah. Like, like that's what we're all waiting for in our lives. We're not waiting to get to a place of, of peace and satisfaction. We're waiting to win the lottery. That's right. It's been studied, and it is true that for essentially every person who has ever won the lottery, it has ruined their life, um, and often in fairly dramatic fashion. But this shouldn't come as a surprise because a jerk who wins the lotto is still a jerk. He just has a bunch of money now. Um, the circumstance may have changed, but the interior life has not. And I think, again, especially for Americans, I think that we're really tempted to feel like our circumstances, that's the thing. That's that's the thing that really, really matters. And so if we could just get that squared away, everything else would fall into place. But one of the interesting things about this story, and again, I think, you know, it certainly may be part of what Jesus was saying, is this is a dude who who had the thing we all dream of. He had his circumstances change in an instant mm. and just boom but he's still the same guy. He's still a guy who clearly struggles with self-pity. He's still a guy who will immediately throw the person who helped him under the bus. He's still a guy who is so lacking in gratitude and, and being present in the moment that he doesn't bother to learn even the first name of someone who's gone way, way out of their way to help him. And that's not going to be a great life, man. Um, and I think that it's worth looking at the idea that in in the long term, you know, Jesus says, stop sitting or something worse may happen to you, that the outcome of a life where we just kind of have terrible attitudes that go unchecked forever, that that can actually lead, in a sense, to a worse life than just having bad circumstances, mm. um, that a life where kind of all of our worst impulses just get enabled all day, every day, can actually go to darker places than just having really, really challenging circumstances. Mm. And so the beautiful thing about the healing that Jesus offers us is God does have the ability to do something about our circumstances. And uh, for some of us in, in certain moments in our lives, um, he may do so in miraculous ways. For, for others of us, it may move in, in much slower ways. But God also wants to do something about our interior life. He also wants to do something about the parts of us that want to feel sorry for ourselves, the parts of us that are afraid and blame shift, the parts of us that are just ungrateful and unaware. He wants to help with those parts of our lives, too, so that we can be whole people and we can be healed people and we can live a life that's worth having. Absolutely. That is another excellent layer to add on to that. And Glenn, where do we close this out? Well, I love what these guys are saying because uh, I, I think they're right on top of it. If you if you look at the the rest of the chapter here, uh, John chapter five, uh, it, it, there's something about this story that's always kind of uh, I've always wondered about. So this is uh, we're in Jerusalem. There's a, a pool of water here called Bethesda, and the the idea was. Uh, every now and then, uh, the angels would come and stir up this water, and whoever got into the water first was healed. Well, okay, so this guy is saying, you know, uh, he, he had been there for a long time, and, you know, Jesus encounters him and says, do you want to get well? And he goes into this thing, of like, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. 
while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. You know, so we have that whole thing. Jesus says, do you want to get well? And he offers an excuse instead. As, as Jed's implying, this dude's got some issues here. Uh, we can infer that much from the story. And uh, Jesus does appear to be to be pointing to a larger pattern of funky attitude here. And that's a, you know, I think that's a legit thing to infer into what's going on here. Um, but part of this is that, you know, recognizing, uh, you know, I believe you're coming out of the NIV translation and what you quoted us with stop sending or something worse may happen to you. Part of the thing you have to understand with a number of these translations like the NIV is they're trying to go word for word. So if there's a a Greek word, they're just trying to come up with the English word for that and put it in the sentence and that's it. And you can see why, because that's, you know, we're trying to do as close to the original as possible. The problem is you kind of take all those words in English without a lot of context and without knowing the nuances of the Greek language behind it, and it becomes one of those things where it's, you know, it's like the, the mobster movie where the, the mobster comes in and, and the you know, this guy owes money to the mob and the mobster says, well, it'd be a shame if this place burned to the ground, you know. Well, he's, there's an implied threat there. So he either, you know, so, but we don't know that he means that literally, like it would be a, a shame or is he saying something nefarious there? You kind of draw that uh, from the, you know, the context clues of what's happening in the movie. We don't have that here. So the only way that we can figure out the context and know how to interpret this, as Lee is pointing out, is we have to use the Bible to interpret the Bible. So, you know, this if Jesus says stop sinning or something worse may happen to you, that could sound like a threat in a way, you know, just like, if you don't do this, I'm going to get you. Or it could sound a whole lot like, as, as Jed's pointing out, he's saying that a sinful life is more debilitating than blindness. Right. It's the same, same statement, you know, it's saying the exact same things. I'm I'm adjusting the wording a little bit, and I'm adjusting the the flow of ideas minutely. But it's the same thing. Stop sending or something worse may happen to you, is the same as saying uh, living a life of sin will harm you, and it, it will you will mess up your life if you cheat on your wife. There are consequences if you. Uh, don't pay your taxes. There are consequences. If you lie to people about what's going on with you, there are consequences. If you smoke heroin, there are consequences. Choosing a life of, of, of sin will impact you in ways that make this blindness seem like almost nothing. It's the same flow of ideas, the same words, essentially. How do we know is the right way to look at it? Is a threat? Is it a threat of condemnation, or is it a warning uh, the, of of bigger issues at play in this person's life? How do we know how to answer that? Well, we look at Scripture itself, as Lee was pointing out, and we know that it's it's Jesus trying to to tell him actions have consequences, and uh, you need to recognize it. And I'm building on exactly what what Jed was just saying. He's pointing out in a larger sense that you think your problems are your limitations. Mm. I think that's a lot of us walk around with that all day, every day. Of If I didn't have all these limitations, everything, I would be holy and I would be happy and everything would work out great. Uh, but Jesus is saying it's not your limitations that are causing all the problems and the pain or whatever. It's the wandering away from the path that I'm giving you. If you smoke crack instead of pray about this, there are going to be consequences. There's, your life is not going to be better off, and and it's good for you to have those consequences that that let you know that you're on the wrong path, so that you get back on the right path, so that you have that peace, so you have that connection with the Lord. All great stuff from all these guys. A lot of excellent, excellent advice in there. We're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously and says. I feel like I have a lot of fear around the COVID resurgence that wasn't there before with the initial pandemic period. Maybe it's because things like workplaces are open and it feels like there are more things I have to do. Maybe I'm just freaked out in general. 
I'm vaccinated and probably not in any serious danger, but I'm still dealing with what feels like a lot of fear. What do I do? And another great question, another unfortunately timely question. And Jed, where would we start this off? Really glad that you wrote in and how you feel makes sense. Here's what we want to encourage you to do. We want to start by encouraging you to follow the best medical uh, advice, the best public health advice you can get as well as you're able. We understand that that information changes with time as the situation changes. So we want to take the best advice that we can get in, in the United States. That would be through the CDC. It's the Centers for Disease Control. Um, and you want to follow it as well as you're able. Recently, I have a friend who's into sailing. And so recently I've gotten to, to be out a few times on a sailboat. And um, the, the following sounds like a terrible idea to me, but my, my friend let me help a little bit on a recent sailing excursion. And so mm-hmm. you say, well, you're going to pull on this rope. Okay. And now you're going to pull it this way. And now, okay, now you're going you're gonna to hold this thing. Okay, now you're going to hold this other thing. And it didn't, it, I should notice, we were sailing, kind of the weather changed through the day. Sometimes there's more wind and sometimes there's less wind. And it didn't occur to me, well, maybe I should argue with you about which rope I should hold or pull. Because <laughs> before, you told me to pull this rope, but now you just want me to hold it. And if it's like, like, do you even know anything, man? Nah. The weather changes, and this dude definitely knows more about how to respond to it than I do. It's the same thing with health stuff. I know it's fashionable right now to be like, do these scientists even know anything? Yeah, they do. They know a lot. And they know more than me, and they know more than you, and doctors know more than you, and they know more than me. And that's okay. It's I know it, it feels weird. Each day, each week, each month, we're going to get the best advice we can. And again, in the, in the U.S., that's the Centers for Disease Control. We're going to follow it as well as we're able. It may not be perfect, but we're going to do the best job that we can. We're going to ask God to give us strength and courage. We're going to ask God to give us what we need to deal with the day that we're in. We're going to ask God to, to give us that, that peace that passes all understanding, that supernatural assurance that he is on the job, that he has, he's got our life squarely in his hands and he can handle it. We're going to do that, and then we're going to get up tomorrow, and we're going to do the same thing. Tomorrow we're going to get up and we're going to say, what are the best medical minds where I live asking me to do? And I'm going to do that. And I'm going to ask God to give me strength. And I'm going to ask God to give me courage. And then I'm going to do that. Tomorrow, we're going to get up. We're going to do that same thing again. If you string enough of those days together, you'll actually get somewhere good. Yeah. I, I know it doesn't seem that way, but I promise to you that you absolutely will. And, and part of the reason why I can say that with confidence is there's actually not a huge difference between the dynamic that I just described and a lot of folks that are coming out of long-term addiction or coming out of prison where each day you're getting up and people who know more than you are telling you to do things that you'd rather not do. Right. Uh, but they actually know a lot more about this situation than you do. And if you choose humility and you choose to follow that good advice and you get strength from God to deal with the day that you're in and courage to keep going, you put enough of those days together, man, you wouldn't believe how far your life can go. I think you're going to find the same thing is true here. And you've got what it takes to do that. Don't. And so here are the things then that we don't want to give into. We don't want to give in to cynicism where we assume that nobody knows anything. The fact that information changes means that it's all just made up and a lie. And I know as much as anybody. That's not true. Uh, the best science is being figured out right now as we go. So we don't want to give into that cynicism and that, that sense of, of who even knows. Probably my friend on Facebook knows as much as anyone. We don't want to give into despair, that sense of all hope is lost, because that's just not true. We're going to work together, and we're going to figure this thing out, and we don't want to give into self-pity. We don't want to give into this yeah. sense of, like, it's just been too hard, and so I'm due to just give up and not do my part and not try anymore and not hope anymore. We want to fight those things, but we can only really fight them one day at a time. God's mercies are made new every morning. That means he's got fresh help for you tomorrow. He wants you to wake up and get that help, get those mercies from him so that you can stand your ground in the midst of a hard time. We love you. We believe in you. We've got your back. A wonderful place to start that off. And Glenn, where do we take it from there? Well, I, I 100% agree with, with everything Jed's saying there. And, and uh, we, we trust the people to make smart decisions. They know more than us about this stuff. And sometimes it just it's it, it's news we don't want to hear, but we you know we recognize there are smarter people than us working on stuff. 
But here's what I want to take in, in, in terms of the part of what you're talking about too here is you're, you're describing a fear that you have and you're also describing, you know, you're saying I'm vaccinated and probably not in any serious danger, but you still feel those feelings. And uh, here's what I want to tell you about that is that in a way, a spooky situation can be a bigger freak out than actually dangerous ones, mm-hmm. which is weird. But it's it's sort of the premise of of most uh, 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 the horror movies, or you know, sort of the the jump from behind and things grabbing you kind of movies or whatever. It's it's sort of so it, it, during the pandemic, in the middle of the pandemic. Um, we were off of a lockdown at some point and I went to a store. It's my favorite store. It's a giant store. It's huge, huge, huge. And they have all kinds of electronic stuff and little bits and pieces and, uh, you know, transistors and diodes and all that kind of stuff. And I'm going in there, uh, you know, really just to get out of the house. And I walk in and there's nobody in this store. Now, usually there this place would have you know you know a hundred people in it on a on a light day. There was literally no one in this store but me, and I'm going down the aisles, and there's nothing on the on these aisles I mean nothing. It's like this row is empty, that row is empty. I'm walking down this has like three things on it, and you know, and it freaked me out like this is the apocalypse we're all going to die what's going on here you know and i'm going back to the car like man this is bad y'all this is terrible the very next day i'm on the internet looking at the news it turns out this place is going out of business <laughs> so they had sold all the stuff that's why nothing's on the shelves that's why nobody's shopping there i'm the last person to figure out that they're going out of business so okay you know but it freaked me out more just because it looked like an apocalypse yeah, was yeah. happening. So it's it's weird that stuff that looks a certain way or feels a certain way will freak us out more than an actual level of danger is going on there. So those sort of a, a context clues being kind of all funny. So you you walk around, everyone's wearing a mask. It feels like maybe we'll all die. That's not you know that that's not what's going on that's not our, our our thing that we're doing here you know i think we we have a certain amount of free floating identity because we don't have a clear sense of what we're trying to do here uh if i say okay what we're trying to do here is stop the spread of a disease then i'm not living in mortal fear that i'm going to die i'm saying other people who have health risks greater than mine uh, their life is on the line, and I can help save their life by just putting a freaking piece of cloth on the front of my face. How selfish would I have to be not to want to do that? So, you know, I think uh, better messaging, I think, if we can all get in a time machine and fix that, would, would do a lot. But I think part of it is finding the right messaging for yourself to say to yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on this. That would break down, I think, a lot of these fears as well. That's a great place to take things. Lee, where do we close this out? I would come right on right in on that same note and and say that um, you know, I think a a big question for a lot of us is um kind of comparing what we experienced last time to what we're experiencing in this resurgence. I think a lot of a lot of what we felt last time was okay. Um, you know, like when it, whenever things first started, it was like, all right, three weeks to flatten the curve. Um, okay, you know, uh, two months to stop the spread, you know, and it was like these little slogans that made us feel like, um, we can just, if we make it this far, then we'll, we'll make it out. And what that was basically doing was for a lot of folks and myself included, the messaging was, or the, the idea was I'm going to do this based on my own, like, I'm going to muster up the strength to make it. And if I, if I, if I, 
you know, if I, I get strong enough to, to make it through this annoying thing for this long, then we'll be able to do this. Well, I think the attitude is not about, is not about strength. It's not about time frame. It's not about any of that kind of stuff because everybody's tired. Everybody's over it. Um, the, the attitude that we want to come in on is the attitude of, of courtesy, the attitude of care. Um, it, it's exactly what uh, Glenn was just saying is if I realize that by me doing a very simple thing and, my, and, and doing that in daily chunks, I protect and care for other people around me who are more vulnerable than me, then it's a no-brainer. I'm going to do that thing. Um, and so I think that we have to think about our attitude on this. Um, my attitude is not, you know, I'm just going to pluck up the, the stamina for, to, to go back into that annoying season one more time for a while longer. And who knows how long it's going to be. That's a really, that's, that's a really hard thing to get behind. But if I say in daily chunks, and in momentary chunks, whether that means going to the store or stepping foot into a restaurant or whatever, I'm going to do a simple act that is, uh, that is about care and courtesy and love. Well, that's a completely different prospect, and it feels completely different. And right now, the way it feels is an important thing. So I think that in, within ourselves, I like the way Glenn said we have to, we have to pay attention to the way that we talk to ourselves about this. Um, we need to, exactly as Jed started out, we need to go by the recommendations of the folks who are working tirelessly around the clock with all of the unknown questions so that we can know what we need to do to take care of each other. And then that's the attitude that we need to approach it by is what are the small things I can do in momentary situations and on a day-to-day -day basis that lend towards courtesy and care and love. Not, okay, this is annoying. I'm going to pluck up the courage and the strength and the stamina to make it a little bit farther. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about momentary acts of courtesy and care and love based on the science, based on people who know a lot more than me, based on humility, and, 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 and that's the way I'm going to think about it. And I think that we'll all face it in a completely different way if we think about it in those terms. I think that's all excellent, excellent stuff from all of these guys. If you have a question for us, you can find us at saythatpodcast at gmail.com or thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask. If you want to keep that entirely anonymous, we're going to take out the song this week. A lot of questions, very understandably this week, dealing with fear. So we're going to take out the song that was recorded live at the bridge some years ago. This is Jed leading the men on the bridge and bigger than my fears. Yeah. Got that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Coming this fall to theaters near you. This moon mold hates Jesus and is trying to stop me from praying and make me care about the environment. And it's up to me and this V8 moon buggy to stop them. <laughs> God, I'm here and I'm laying I'm afraid of here and now Cause I'm tired and I need you to take this off of me Here we go, sing this with me now. 
for 